This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Trashy Divorces, everybody's favorite good podcast about bad relationships. Alicia here, friends, and Stacy, my cohort in Trash Candy. It's been quite a week. It has. Former Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor passed away. Pogue's lead singer Shane McGowan passed away. And... And former Secretary of State, architect of various secret wars and coups, and all-around shady character on the world stage, Henry Kissinger also died on November 29th. The man advised every president since Nixon as well, and the obituaries and remembrances available in the media are absolutely legion. I will let smarter people than I navigate all of that. What a lot of people don't know or don't remember is that Henry Kissinger, oddly enough, was quite the man about town during his years in D.C. and was linked with a who's who of notable women in those days. It's actually kind of jarring. Yeah, you don't think of Henry Kissinger, ladies' man. You do not. Well, he's actually kind of terrible as a ladies' man. But before we get to that story, the softer side of Kissinger, the needier side, I don't know. Let's take a peek into this magic mirror and give some thanks to the latest folks who just joined us over at patreon.com slash trashy divorces for early and ad free episodes, bonus divorces and more. Thank you so much for joining us, Olivia K and Sar. Y'all rock. Big thanks to you. Big thanks to our entire Patreon crew. Thanks to you for coming to listen today. Alicia, if we're going to travel back to the turbulent days of one of the most corrupt presidencies in history, what do we have to do? We got to go, go, go. Henry Kissinger, ladies, man? Question mark. Alicia, Henry Kissinger died this week at the age of 100 at his home in Connecticut with his wife of 49 years at his side. I am decidedly not qualified to weigh in on the life and legacy of Nixon's national security advisor and then secretary of state and then I think Ford's secretary of state, etc. As his tenure as those things happened before I was born, But I will gladly include a variety of obit pieces in the show notes if you want to dive into what is a, let's say, a contentious existence here on planet Earth for old Henry. Spencer Ackerman's obit in Rolling Stone may be the best example of the anti-Kissinger take. This was titled, Henry Kissinger, War Criminal Beloved by America's Ruling Class, Finally Dies. (laughs) Yes, While the chattering classes will be debating Henry's influence on world affairs for, lo, these hundred years, I am preferring instead to dive into the very strange media frenzy and the various reported relationships that accompanied the odd celebrity that Henry Kissinger fostered and or experienced in these high-profile roles. Many biographers appear to view him as something of a world-historic striver, a man who opposed Nixon's candidacy until Nixon won the nomination, and then could not jump on board quickly enough. A man who didn't let his decidedly conservative worldview stand in the way of the plethora of invites to D.C. cocktail parties and Hollywood gatherings, 
where he delighted in the fawning attention of journalists, dignitaries, and starlets. Let's just say the popular press was in a weird place during the Nixon years and slide on into meeting old Henry, who was born Heinz Alfred Kissinger on May 27, 1923, Gemini man, in the town of Firth in Bavaria, Germany. His family was Jewish, and when Henry was nine years old, Adolf Hitler was elected Chancellor of Germany. This unleashed a wave of changes for him and his family. Hitler youth were empowered to harass and even beat Jewish kids and I'm sure all manner of nonconformists around the country. Henry, who was a soccer fanatic, was barred from entering stadiums to watch matches because Jews weren't allowed, though he would still sometimes try to sneak in and apparently he would take beatings from the security guards at the stadiums as a result. His father was fired from his job as a school teacher when Jews were barred from employment in Germany. And on August 20th, 1938, 15-year-old Henry, his younger brother Walter, and his parents fled Germany, arriving in New York City on September 5th. The family settled into the Washington Heights neighborhood in New York City, which had a large German-Jewish community to help support their transition, and Henry... Now, officially Henry, he, upon arriving in America, as so many people did, adopted a more Americanized name, started high school at George Washington High, wow. which sounds <laughs> right. Uh, he took a job at a shaving brush factory, and he dreamed of becoming, I am not making this up, an accountant. Oh, big dreams, Henry, big dreams. I mean, lucrative dreams. Sure. He Power. Was, <laughs> he was, in fact, pursuing this career at City College of New York just a few short years later, when the U.S. Army drafted him into service in 1943, World War II, of course, was raging. He was obviously fluent in German, so he was eventually assigned to military intelligence and would display considerable leadership in the waning days of the war. He was put in charge of, like, hunting down Gestapo officers, and he, as a private, was put in charge of administering some, like, German towns. Wow. Apparently, he stood up the civil administration of one place in eight days. Like, he was a really talented guy. Effective. Yeah. Okay. He ran the denazification project in a number of liberated towns, captured town. I guess it depends on which side you were on. And apparently, at this time, he held a surprising bias toward the civil liberties of the people that he was, you know, governing. That would make sense. Yeah, well, I mean, this is surprising because his later career was rooted in a deep antipathy toward human rights stuff and an utter lack of concern over collateral deaths in the conflicts that he oversaw and advised on. Eh. After some time teaching at the European Command Intelligence School in Germany, he returned to the U.S. to head back to college, but not, my friends, to City College and not to study accounting. This time... Henry Kissinger headed to Harvard. Of course he did. To study political science and a whole new career track emerged. Let's meet Henry's first wife. His first wife was Annalise Ann Fleischer. She was born November 6th, 1925, also in Firth, Germany. Yeah, Scorpio girl. Mm. Is that a good match? Scorpio and Gemini? For them, Scorpio and Gemini doesn't appear to have worked out no. because they got divorced. Mm-hmm. Carry on. All right. So Anne's family must have relocated to the same New York neighborhood as Henry's family did because the U.S. son reports that they were high school sweethearts who then stayed in touch during his time in the army. 
They married on February 6th, 1949, while Henry was at Harvard. They would go on to have two kids. Didn't get the exact years, but it looks like it was approximately 1960 and 1962, which is interesting because that means that in a time before the pill, there was an 11-year gap between them getting married and them having their first baby. That is interesting. So let me share a bit of the timeline of their relationship, which, as you noted, ended in divorce in 1964. Henry finished undergrad in 1950 at Harvard, having composed a senior thesis that was more than 400 pages Oh my long. God. Mm-hmm. Dude. In response to this assault on his professors, and to this day, Harvard limits the word count of a senior thesis to just 35,000 words. You're kidding. I'm Henry not. Kissinger? This is less than a national novel writing month draft length. This is just impressive. This is like, I guess, the Kissinger rule. It's like no extra bulky size novels for us. Anyway, I have no idea if Henry Kissinger was any kind of great romantic with his new bride, but he clearly was quite busy and deeply occupied with this great work he was composing. But graduating from Harvard was only the beginning of his academic career, of course, so it was on to the master's program at Harvard, graduated in 1951, and the PhD program at Harvard, graduated in 1954. And while these academic accomplishments did launch him into foreign policy roles at the National Security Council and the Council on Foreign Relations and later the Rand Corporation and on and on, by 1955, he was still a Harvard man through and through. So it was that at a symposium at the school in 1955 that he met the Austrian poet Ingeborg Bachmann who I've seen described as sort of like a German-language Sylvia Plath. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. And an affair was born. Uh Uh-oh. It seems like what little is known of this came from Ingeborg's biographers, and they were given access to correspondence between the two. The affair appears to have lasted several years and included at least two rendezvous in Germany when Henry was traveling for work. Awesome stuff, man. Awesome stuff. Even better, that relationship seems to have cooled by the mid-1960s, after which Ingeborg became a vocal critic of the Vietnam War, which would arguably become Henry's piece de resistance on the world stage. Yeah, that might split up the relationship. Aside from his policy work, I believe he was also professing at Harvard in the mid-50s to mid-60s period, so I leave it to you, dear listener, to decide if Ingeborg Bachmann was the only extracurricular endeavor Henry Kissinger enjoyed during his first marriage. Yikes. Poor Anne. She had probably thought that she was marrying Heinz, the unassuming accountant who was so shy as a teen, he hadn't spoken enough words to make a dent in his German accent. And instead, she found herself beside a highly ambitious foreign policy nerd who dreamed of moving the pieces on the grand global chessboard of great power conflict. Also, dude who doesn't know how to edit. 400 pages, my dude. 400 pages. All right, so that is his first marriage and divorce. Let's take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to get into Henry Kissinger, International Man of Mystery. Good Lord. See you on the flip. All right, Alicia, for the next decade, Henry Kissinger was footloose and fancy free. 
even while chasing political power and prestige as an advisor to New York Governor Nelson Rockefeller. So he's divorced Annalise in 1964. Yep. Okay, now he's on Man on the Move. A little bit. So Rockefeller would seek the Republican nomination for president in 1960, 64, and 68. Henry would kind of muddle along in the background until, as I mentioned at the top, Nixon won the nomination in 1968, and then abandoning his earlier stated belief that Nixon was, quote, the most dangerous of all men running to have as president, called up one of Nixon's campaign aides to declare his willingness to do anything to help Nixon win. Wow. Apparently, some of Henry's biographers believe that anything included sharing confidential information from the peace talks that the Johnson administration was then engaged in to bring an end to the war in Vietnam. Sure. And if I'm not making myself clear about what that meant concretely, Henry Kissinger shared this intel so that the Nixon campaign could tank those peace talks as part of its campaign strategy, which would prolong the Vietnam War by years to the bloody end of many Americans, Vietnamese, and secretly Cambodians and Laotians in the process. And this is just one item on a very long list of items that make Henry's legacy very difficult for a lot of people. Back to our story. In The Hollywood Reporter, writers Gary Baum and Seth Abramovich have a piece headlined, Why Henry Kissinger Was the Ultimate Starfucker, which includes this litany. Oh, no. And this litany isn't even close to the end of it. Here we go. Prior to meeting President Richard Nixon in 1967, Kissinger made frequent trips to Santa Monica to consult with the Rand Corporation, a global policy think tank. But after being appointed as National Security Advisor by the newly elected president in 1969, his profile skyrocketed. And the glitz of Hollywood was within reach. Fascinated since childhood with American popular culture, Kissinger pursued the Tinseltown social scene and grew dizzy from the attention of its starlets. Kissinger was romantically linked, this is just a whole list of, to Shirley MacLaine, Marlo Thomas, Candace Bergen, Liv Ullman. He was also photographed at the sides of Raquel Welch, Elizabeth Taylor, and Liza Minnelli. Wow. There were countless more who did not have recognizable faces or names. This is a quotation. He had a weakness for young, beautiful, lesser-known types, writes Walter Isaacson in Kissinger, a biography. We talked about Walter Isaacson's Elon Musk biography a few weeks ago. Certainly. Isaacson continues, quote, They offered, at least in the abstract, the aura of something more illicit. They included Judith Brown, star of the X-rated 1970 Danish film Threesome, and Lotta Edmond, a stunt woman specializing in motorcycle and car crashes who worked on Smokey and the Bandit and with Evil Knievel. Wow. <laughs> Writer Timothy Bellick took kind of a bit of a victory lap for the Washington Post in a piece called The Surprising Dating Life of Henry Kissinger, a West Wing Playboy. <laughs> you see, in this period, one of the leading lights of the D.C. social scene was post-writer Sally Quinn, a journalist and author in her own right who would go on to marry post-editor Ben Bradley. You can see how incestuous, but also fabulous it all must have been back in the rollicking 60s and 70s. Perhaps because Richard Nixon was such a sour, disordered, and paranoid person, and also that there was a hot war raging in Vietnam and a cold war constantly threatening nuclear annihilation, 
it made sense that Henry, a cerebral foreign policy wonk, would get a close look from the cocktail party circuit. For him, the attention seems to have filled an ego need that literally nothing else to that point in his life had even come close to. He once told Time magazine, quote, I go out with actresses because I'm not very apt to marry one. Oh, okay. Some of the celebrity attention may have been by accident. Also, this story will include some flagrant mishandling of classified material. In 1969, Henry showed up at a party carrying an envelope of classified information. Like you do. When people asked what was inside the envelope, he told everyone it was his copy of Playboy magazine. Okay. It was actually Nixon's silent majority speech. Oh, wow. Anyway, TD alum Hugh Hefner heard about this and gifted Henry Kissinger a subscription to Playboy magazine. (laughs) And the two became friends, which is like an oddball and somewhat horrifying turn of events. But there you have it. Can you imagine Kissinger in the grotto? Hef is just one of many TD alums and alum adjacent people in this story. So first up, let's recount a little interlude that Henry shared with Zsa Zsa Gabor in 1970. Richard Nixon himself had set the pair up by seating them next to each other at a state dinner. Remember, Zsa is Hungarian-born, and Nixon was such a doofus, he probably just thought, like, oh, they both have accents. I'm just guessing. Tricky dick. Back in California, where Nixon was working from his San Clemente Western White House, Henry and Zsa finally had a chance to have a night out at a Beverly Hills bistro. And when Henry pulled up to her house afterward, he invited himself in for a drink. And Zsa agreed. Once inside, as Henry leaned in to kiss her, his beeper went off. It was Nixon. Henry, come back immediately. I need you. He barked at him on the phone. Henry rushed off, thoroughly discombobulated, peeling out of Zsa Zsa Gabor's driveway so ineptly that he scraped the car on the electric gates at the end of her driveway, shouting, Oh my God, God, this is President Nixon's car. Not a great end to a date, perhaps, but Zsa Zsa was still interested. Maybe it's not so weird that Henry would coin the phrase, power is the ultimate aphrodisiac. Oh, no. Anyway, Zsa Zsa sent him flowers, not, <laughs> not to his house, but to his office. And he called to thank her, saying, quote, My whole staff looks at me differently since I got flowers from you. Oh, no. I bet. I bet is right. They scheduled another date for the next time that he was supposed to be on the West Coast, but that one didn't work out either. He called to cancel the day of, explaining, quote, I can't fly down because we're invading Cambodia tomorrow. It's a big secret. You're the first person outside the White House who knows about it. Oh, Lord. It's too much. Mishandling classified information. Okay. It's possible that Zsa Zsa's curiosity had been piqued by none other than Sally Quinn herself, who had approached Henry at a cocktail party in 1969 when he was newly arrived in D.C. and the clubby denizens who considered the city their own were still feeling out who was who and what was what in the Nixon administration. Henry was nursing a drink when Sally sidled up to him. You really are a swinger, aren't you? She asked. Meaning Playboy, not 
in the modern parlance, like couple swapping or whatever. So sure. When you hear swinger, just think playboy. Different connotation in 69. Yeah. Henry, who probably had moments that were not awkward in his life, but none of these are those, replied, I can't admit that I'm a swinger without getting into trouble. I can't admit that I'm not a swinger. So why don't we say I'm a secret swinger? And that is how Sally Quinn described him in the Washington Post the next day. No. Secret swinger Henry Kissinger. Please publish it in Catherine Graham's paper. Perfect. He would later tell Sally that while it was, quote, suicidal to talk to you, he was also very appreciative to her. You made me what I am today, he told her. Secret swinger Henry Kissinger. Even Gloria Steinem, feminist icon, got in on the Henry Kissinger is ladies' man bit, telling Women's Wear Daily in the early 70s that Henry was, quote, the only interesting man in the Nixon administration. Good Lord. Knowing what we know now, I do wonder if she regrets even that, you know, kind of wan dip into praise of Henry Kissinger. It's tricky, right? Time is a funny thing. You want to get your quotes placed in the big story, but also... (laughs) All right. This is a great place for one more quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get into Jill St. John, Bob Evans, and Henry's second marriage. So many spider webs back in a minute. Oh, Stacy, you have given me some delicious spider webs here. Isn't this absolutely unexpected? The year was 1971, and the film was Diamonds Are Forever. Oh, no. It's a Bond film, and it introduced the first American Bond girl, the actress Jill St. John, now the wife of Robert Wagner. Widower of Natalie Wood. That is one way of putting it. So this introduced Jill St. John to the world, and somehow, in his travels between D.C. and San Clemente, these two met, Jill St. John and Henry Kissinger, and apparently began kind of a longish romance. They made headlines by accidentally setting off her Hollywood mansion's alarm on a late-night stroll out to the pool. Uh-oh. Prompting rumors that they had secretly married. <laughs> okay. Both denied that there was a romance and certainly denied that there was a marriage. What did you expect? Henry would say about the alarm incident. I was teaching her chess. Sure you were, Henry. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right, one of your favorite TD alums, Paramount Chief Bob Evans has a part in this story, too. Uh, Robert Evans is connected into everything. This, this, this might make you a little mad. He once said of Henry, quote, he didn't cut quite the same figure, but he was Cary Grant with a German accent. Oh, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> Bob Evans, I heartily disagree. Perhaps Bob Evans said that because he needed Henry to do him a favor. What was that? In March of 1972, as The Godfather was about to premiere in New York, Marlon Brando canceled on Bob Evans, so there was going to be no superstar on the red carpet at the launch of the movie. Bob called Henry and asked if he could attend. We'll go back to Walter Isaacson here, biographer of noted luminaries, and he wrote this about that. Quote, It was not a good time. The North Vietnamese offensive had just begun. The Paris peace talks had been broken off. Kissinger was about to leave on a secret mission to Moscow, and he was planning the mining of Haiphong. 
You know, but for you, Bob, anything for you, Bob. Henry was there, walking the red carpet with the likes of Jack Nicholson, Raquel Welch, and Bob's then-girlfriend, Allie McGraw. The clamor for pictures at this event with Henry, like everyone wanted to be seen and photographed talking to Henry Kissinger, was so intense that, again, at the world premiere of The Godfather, they had to delay curtain for about 15 minutes. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Henry Kissinger upstaged The Godfather, which is ironic in a way. (laughs) To be fair, others, starlets and stars alike, downplayed the ladies' man image that Henry seemed quite happy to cultivate. Candace Bergen found him extremely intelligent and charming, but so wedded to his work that romance was never really on the table. A former actress who was out and about with Henry a lot in this period, Marcia Matrinko, said, quote, I was always home by midnight. There always seemed to be a crisis. In San Clemente, he'd always get called away from the table a lot. His ex-sister-in-law, Anne Fleischer's sister, told the New York Post in 1974, there are a lot of exclamation points in this, okay. he was never a playboy. Never, never, never. One of his Harvard mentors added, that swinger stuff is bunk. He never was a good mixer. One of the DC cocktail party set joked, Henry's idea of sex is to slow the car down to 30 miles an hour when he drops you off at the door. Oh. Make of that what you will, but it's interesting to note that as Nixon's house of cards was falling down around them all in the Watergate scandal, Henry fairly promptly took himself out of the papers as Washington's greatest swinger and White House playboy. But I think there's a real kicker in the story of his next wedding. Oh, I'm intrigued. Henry Kissinger married for the second and last time on March 30th, 1974. So 10 years after his divorce. 10 years after his divorce and like six months before Nixon resigned. To the former Nancy McGinnis. Nancy was a Rockefeller staffer who had known Henry since her days as a student at Harvard back in, wait for it, 1964. Yikes. The year of Henry's divorce from Anne. Mm -hmm. Even better, her first job out of Harvard was as a Rockefeller staffer. Henry recommended her for this position. And her first job for Nelson Rockefeller was as Henry's researcher no oh yes that's shady yes listeners i find that highly suspect we each have one eyebrow raised here at this juncture but that was it for henry as washington's top playboy i mean obviously you know he stayed in the public eye for decades nancy who is now 89 was widowed on november the 29th just a few days ago and our hearts genuinely do go out to her and his two children As for the kind of husband he was, that is unclear. I heard Lawfare's Ben Wittes, probably the day after Kissinger's passing, saying that one one of his co-workers at Lawfare was hit on by Kissinger when he was well into his 90s and she was quite young. Gross. Trash cans? I mean, Alicia, Henry Kissinger is a person who biographers attribute several million human deaths to. My own father's exposure to Agent Orange in Vietnam may well be attributable to him, at least in part. I don't think trash cans really cut it here. Let's just say this was an odd moment in U.S. pop cultural history. And Henry Kissinger, 
odd man about town certainly made the most of it. And that's sort of my story. I had no idea that he moved and shooked quite that much. Right. I think the studios got a real kick out of partnering him with starlets at premieres to like walk the red carpet. He just, I think he was just this odd, powerful nerd that they could, I don't know. I think it was like a bit of a joke, but also not. I'm not sure. Again, before I was born, the world is stranger than we could ever imagine. Well, I know more about Henry Kissinger's personal trashy life than I ever thought I would. There are a lot of spider webs in there. Oh, absolutely. We may have to go and do a little bit more digging for Dumpster Dive this week over on the Patreon. Absolutely. And his personal whatever you want to call all that is really the only part of his life I'm in any way qualified to dissect or poke fun at because the man's Wikipedia page is hair-raising to read. It just is. Well, I feel like if there was a time to drop Henry into the trashy mix, this week was the week. This was the really only week that worked. Thanks for bringing that to us. I think, Stacy. thank you for sure, everybody, for coming to hang out with us today and listen to this episode. Trashy Divorces will be back on Wednesday for you with a brand new up. Excited about that one. A different kind of godfather, so to speak. <laughs> In the meantime, if you need more Trashy Divorces, you can always find us over at patreon.com slash Trashy Divorces for dumpster dives. we got a bonus divorce this week coming up too. Nightcap chats as well. Zoom salons, which are always a ton of fun. If you are seeking a little bit of enjoyment in your Thursday listening plans, be sure to check out our other podcast, Trashy Broils. We have moved our way back to... The 1100s. We're in Anglo-Saxon times now. Henry I was a heck of a good story. The French are taking over England. Ah! (laughs) And done and done for your Monday listening as well. We are wrapping up the Sonny and Klaus von Bülow arc. Always something to listen to here from us at Hemlock Creatives. Y'all have a tremendous beginning of December. Thank you again. Until we meet again whenever we do. I hope that you will keep your hands clean, which Henry Kissinger never, ever did. I hope that you'll keep your hearts trashy, which it appears that he did. Mm. Big love, everybody. Have a tremendous week. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's sydneyvsmith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. 
I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there, and thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.